talked a pretty good talk on free trade. He said the right things. I think he believes in his heart that uh, free trade is the right way to go. But he, every time politics has run up against his free trade principles, politics is one. Uh, the low point was probably uh, last March, March of 2002, when he imposed tariffs on imported steel. Uh, that was both an economic mistake. It uh, prolonged the recession in manufacturing because it drove up costs for all the manufacturers that use steel, like automobiles and appliances and construction. And he signed the awful farm bill, which uh, was bad for Americans. It drives up the cost of food here and raises our taxes. But also, it's terrible for poor countries who are very competitive in exporting and selling food to the rest of the world. Well, what does a farm bill do? It drives down global prices and really impoverishes uh, marginal farmers in countries around the world. So on the big things, uh, unfortunately, this president has uh, taken some steps backward. Our hope is uh, Bob Zellix, a, a quite aggressive U.S. trade representative. We've tabled some very good proposals in the WTO that would move the world in the right direction. So maybe the wor I, my hope is the worst is behind us uh, and we'll start moving forward from here. But up until now, the president on, on walking the walk has been uh, quite a disappointment. Johan, uh, let's talk about European agricultural subsidies, which uh, can be as steep as the Alps, I understand. And, and tell us about the cows. Well, I mean, it, you can measure, try to measure the cost of uh, agricultural production subsidies in many different ways, uh, but the figures are very abstract. I mean, uh, 320 to 360 billion dollars every year in subsidies in the OECD countries. To put it in perspective, it's, I think we should use a cow metaphor. This would be enough to uh, fly all the cows, 60 million of them in these countries, once around the world every year in business class and they would still have $2,000 each more than that to spend in, on their stopovers in these countries and uh, I mean this is how much we spend in our country about one our countries about one billion dollars every day to destroy free trade to destroy the possibilities for poor countries to compete that's uh, bizarre and it's really illogical it's irrational you know, Bill, if you're looking for an example of, of progress, I think in the last 10 or 20 years, the world has woken up to the scandal of rich country agricultural policies. And the complaints from the poor countries increasingly are against these agricultural policies, which are bad for us. You know, if we were to liberalize our agricultural system, get rid of the subsidies, get rid of the trade barriers, we'd be the biggest beneficiaries here in the United States and the other rich countries. But it would have significant benefits uh, for poor countries as well. So I think the terms of the debate are shifting, and now we're arguing about where to liberalize and how fast to liberalize, and, and I think that's a very good development. Some of the uh, critics of globalization point to what they call horrible conditions in Asian sweatshops, and Nike factories have been portrayed as something out of Charles Dickens. Johan, you've been to some of these places. Are, are they as bad as they say? Are they really sweatshops? And how do they compare to, well, the factories that were there before Nike built one? Well, when I go there, my first impression is that, yes, the work seems to be tough. It doesn't seem to be a, uh, the perfect working conditions that we would be used to here, and, and definitely not what the affluent anti-globalization protesters, what they are used to in their uh, lecture rooms and so on. But that is not what they compare this to. The work is working there, and that was my second impression. When I ask them about their hopes and wishes, uh, the first thing that they usually mentioned was that they hoped that Nike and other multinational corporations could expand their production so that the, they could give those sort of jobs to their neighbors, to their relatives as well. 
because even though they happen to be bad by our standards, it's the best kind of jobs that exist in those very countries. It gives them a safer working environment, it's a safer machinery, regular wages, and higher wages, about five times more than the average wage in these countries. So that is why people come a very long way to get those jobs. And, and what about the conditions of the factories themselves? It hardly uh, is comparable to what we would say are um, sweatshops, because, I mean, they're lit, they're um, air-conditioned, um, there are uh, fans working uh, at high speed and so on. People get free meals, free medical services and so on. And, and I mean, that is something that we should compare, once again, with the alternatives that these people have. And that's back-breaking hard labor in rice paddies. It's uh, horrible conditions in domestic factories. This is not something that multinational corporations give because they're more generous, higher wages, better conditions, and so on. They give this because they are more productive. They have the machinery, they train their workers, they have management skills and access to markets. So it's really it's globalization that is at work here in increasing those standards. You know, Johan, one thing I've heard you point out is that a country like Taiwan never would have become relatively wealthy if they hadn't gone through the sweatshop stage, and if the protesters 20 years ago had had their way, they'd still be poor. Exactly, and I mean, Sweden had the sweatshops as well. The U.S. had those sweatshops as well. And if other countries would have said that, no, we won't trade with you because you are too poor, well, it means that in that case, they'll never get rich. And in that case, they'll stay in those sweatshops. And they'll starve to death. Um, on the other hand... Um, Dan, there's considerable opposition to globalization from American unions, and what they say is that it exports American jobs and that American workers can't compete with people making 35 cents an hour a week or whatever they say. How do you answer that? Well, it's certainly true that trade does displace some domestic production. I mean, that's the whole idea of trade. We do less of what we're relatively less good at doing and more of what we're better at doing. So there's going to be some shifting of the workforce. But look... Workers in poor countries get paid 80 cents or a dollar an hour for one very good reason. They're less productive. It doesn't mean they're less hardworking or lazy. They just have, they don't have the machinery, they don't have the education, they don't have the infrastructure. And so typically when workers are earning one-seventh the wage of workers in the United States as they do in Mexico, it's because they produce about one-seventh per hour of labor. So we can compete very well against uh, poor countries. And we do most of our trade and certainly most of our investment with other rich countries. So we have nothing to fear with trade with poor countries. We get low-priced goods, particularly uh, labor-intensive goods. You know, you look at China and a, a huge amount of uh, shoes that we buy, uh, toys, sporting goods, apparel, really the stuff you'd buy in a Walmart. Uh, you'd be amazed how much of it is made in China. And if members of Congress succeed in, as some have proposed, imposing, you know, a 27% tax on goods from China, it's just going to hit poor and middle-class American families right in their pocketbooks. And going back to uh, foreign countries, talk about Kenya and Vietnam, Johan. Kenya and Vietnam are two countries that I recently visited, and they're interesting countries because 20 years ago, um, Kenya was a bit richer than Vietnam was, and uh, Vietnam had a classical socialist communist dictatorship, and Kenya had something that people consider to be more of a capitalist society. Uh, well, what happened was that uh, Vietnam has changed uh, its ways, opened up for investments, for trade, for uh, private property, whereas Kenya has in 
different ways destroy this with controls, tariffs and corruption generally. Today Vietnam is two times richer than Kenya is. And this is because of the inflow of foreign investment that has created these manufacturing, production and facilities, sweatshops so called. And the problem in Kenya is that they do not receive those sweatshops. And when, when I meet people in Kenya and um, try to find out, well, what is the problem? What is going on? Why, why can't you produce here? I can see that people are working hard. They are definitely working hard, contrary to popular opinion. But they have to devote all that energy to circumventing all those regulations, controls, um, restrictions, and so on. So what you just said, Johan and Dan, what you said earlier, you put them together, and globalization seems to be a win-win and a politically stabilizing force. Is that correct? I think so. Uh, you know, there's a how societies evolve is a very complex thing, but there does seem to be a relationship between economic openness, growth and development, and democracy and human rights. You know, countries that are open to trade and have reached a middle or upper class standard of living are far more likely to be democracies uh, and, and protect human rights than countries that are closed and still poor. That's partly what's behind the president's initiative, President Bush's initiative, to try to encourage more free trade in the Middle East. You can bring opportunity there and growth and more inter economic interdependence that we were talking about earlier. I think it doesn't guarantee peace, but it creates a more fertile ground for democracy and human rights and stability. Does being anti-globalization, does it inevitably lead to more control by the state? I think so. Uh, you know, really, what globalization is a bottom-up phenomenon. It isn't the WTO or some bureaucrats at the IMF designing some system to benefit certain people. It's really government withdrawing its control. It's what happens when you when people